All right, family. Um, we are in Genesis, as you know, uh, at MacAv. We, we go through books of the Bible. Um, if you're a visitor here, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and we'll give you one. Um, we're going to be jumping through a bunch of texts for the last couple of weeks. We've been reading big chunks. This will probably be our last big chunk, but hopefully it's helped us um, just build our reading skills and uh, <laughs> looking at names and hopefully um, understanding narrative. We have gone through uh, John, we've gone through Galatians, we have been in Genesis a little over a year now, and I think we have maybe two or three weeks left, and we will be able to complete uh, the book of Genesis. Praise the Lord. We've been awesome. That's a good, there's a clap, right? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, went, I hope that's a, man, we learned a lot clap now. Man, praise the Lord, we're done clap. So, um, I believe the best, right? Uh, just to give you up to speed, if you want to look at the, um, if you want to go through some of the sermons, they're online at www.macab.com. Uh, hopefully that gets you up to date. Uh, we are in chapter, we're doing chapter 46 and we're going to look at 47 today, a big chunk. Okay, guys. And uh, I want to give you a quick snapshot. Uh, won't, won't go through everything, but as we already talk about, uh, you have our our big God who's, who's king. You have uh, good God, bad people is the theme of the scriptures. God creates us. We have the audacity to think we're our own guys. We sin. Uh, what God does is he he destroys uh, the world, as it were, but he saves a remnant because he's that good and that loving. Um, and what he does, he says, what I want to do is I'm going to show you that I got to deal with this sin problem. But what I need to do, I need to convince you that you are evil and that your inclination is to do evil all the time. Um, so so what he does he continues to beeline uh, on, on, on history, on people, and he begins to show us how messed up and crazy we are. But then he focuses in on a family, a specific family who's going to bring about the redemption of all creation. Uh, and we look at Abraham's family. So that's what we've been doing for a while now. And in Abraham's family, we look at all these cool people that, you know, we've seen Bible stories about. And we go, oh, man, Jacob must be really cool. And Isaac must be really cool. And we look at these guys and then we read about them and we see how evil and messed up and crazy they are and how they need Jesus, too. And that gives us all hope. And so that's basically been the theme of the scriptures. And so for the last while now, uh, we've seen Joseph get um, he's going to get around about 12 chapters of the scriptures. Um, We've been dealing with now the fourth and the fifth generation of God's people. Uh, we've gone through uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? And so we see Jacob has kids. Jacob's just as crazy as everybody else. Uh, Jacob has four wives. He's got crazy sons. Uh, we see all kind of uh, madness. But what's so interesting is this is where the, tr- the 12 tribes of Israel come from. Uh, these are the people on our patriarchs, the people that we go, oh, my goodness. But the beauty of that is it, it points towards Christ. And so... Uh, we get to the 12 tribes and then we actually beeline even more within the 12 tribes. And for uh, the last 12 chapters, actually a little less than that, we're going to enter and be about 12 at the end of Jacob, Joseph's story. We're looking at a guy named Joseph. We look at Joseph and we see, uh, again, an, another guy who actually uh, models. Uh, we, we, le- we learned hopefully last week that he's a type of Christ. And uh, and so if he's a type of Christ, then what is Christ called? There we go. The anti-type. Y'all need to be see everybody was like, what was that? Remember? So we learn here. OK. And uh, and so he's the anti-type. 
Okay, and so what happens is he's pointing. He's basically a, a blurred mirror who's who's basically giving us some sense of character and understanding of who Christ is, so that when we see Christ, we see him fully and we run to him because we realize how beautiful he is. And so uh, Jacob, although a sinful man, models these character traits, and we learn a lot of. Um, cool and crazy things about uh, Joseph, and we learn some things about Jesus through Joseph. We see Joseph stars off the journey. He has he has the ability to interpret dreams. His daddy loves him more than all the other sons. Uh, the brothers get mad. They throw him into a ditch and try to kill him. But God's sovereignty, they bring him out of the ditch and say, we'll actually sell you. They sell them to the, uh, the Ishmaelites. Uh, then the Ishmaelites sells him to the Egyptians, so he's just being passed around. And then finally, he's in the Egyptian camp. He's in the most powerful known, you know, uh, basically the most powerful nation in the known world, and he's a slave. So he's had a bad rap, but God has told him that, hey, you're going to be a ruler one day. So basically he's he's a slave. He's a slave for Potiphar, who's a third man in control. He does well. God prospers him. Uh, Potiphar's wife thinks he looks good, wants to have sex with him. He runs for Potiphar's wife for a while. She gets mad. She gives him a rape charge. Potiphar gets mad at him, says, you try to rape my wife. You're going to prison. So now he was a slave, but now he's not only a slave, but he's a prisoner slave. Okay? It doesn't look like God's plan is working out too well. He's in prison for a while. He starts blessing people in prison. The Bible just shows that he has some sense of good attitude. The Bible does not describe that he's, you know, bitter or anything like that. He gets, uh, he does well in prison. He starts running to prison. Um, Helps some guys in prison. Uh, those guys forget about him. He begins to be in prison and enslaved for a better part of 13 or so years. Okay. Uh, finally, he gets out. He interprets the dream of Pharaoh who thinks he's God, but he's not God at all. We can obviously see that the man can't even interpret a dream. He goes and gets a Hebrew slave to interpret his dream which is Joseph. Joseph does that. God gives him grace. And then all of a sudden, just like that, he's the most he's the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, which is the most powerful nation in the known world. Just like that. So all of a sudden, here he is. 20 years hasn't seen his family. 20 years hasn't seen his brothers. Um, and so he's probably around 39 at this point, maybe 22 years from when he sees his father. This is the first time he sees his father. He does all these these tricks and tries to figure out how to uh, make sure that his brothers are broken, uh, that that they've learned their lesson. And we see a beautiful story of reconciliation in the scriptures. Uh, we get all this huge story uh, right now. Joseph is second in control. Uh, he, Pharaoh goes, man, you're the only guy in this whole nation with the Holy Spirit. Listen to Joseph. Joseph runs the economy. He basically barters and gets, you know, gets seed and gives seed away um, because he said there's going to be a, 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 a plenty the first seven years. Then there's going to be a famine so bad that's going to make the plenty look like nothing. Uh, Joseph is running that whole deal. He's in control. Uh, he feeds his brothers. We see a beautiful picture of reconciliation. And so now we're in the midst of that story where Joseph is in control. He's second in control. Uh, he's running the economy. The famine is hit. He's just now reunited with his family. And what we learn from all of that is that God is sovereign. God is faithful. God is good. But here's the thing. We've seen Joseph be prospered to have much, but we've also seen individuals actually have nothing. In fact, we've seen John the Baptist's head being cut off in John. And so we have to learn something about the faithfulness, goodness of God. And that is, is not dependent on what happens. Correct? Correct, guys? 
So that's the reality is that we see this and you can go, oh, just like Joseph, if I read my Bible and I pray well, I'll be very rich and I'll rule everybody. Well, not necessarily. All right. Because, again, the Lord gives us when you think of Scripture, and I don't want you to miss this. You've got to always look at Scripture from the, the perspective of the canon, because we're looking at history. And so God gives us one blessing of history where he sees we see God saying, I will do this and I do this. I can bless you if I want to. But then we see another guy being faithful. I, I'll dare say it be as faithful, if not more faithful, because God says there'll be no one greater than John the Baptist. And he gets his head cut off. And he's eating bugs in the wilderness. So his whole life was foul. But yet God says, no one greater than this guy. So, what is, so what's the point? Is God really good? Why would he let this guy be a bum and all this stuff and, and die like that way if God is good? Because God wants you and me to redefine what goodness is based on the Lord. And so what the scriptures are trying to help you and me get is that God is faithful. God is just. God is good. But make sure that you take that and we live a life of faith. Not a sight going, well, you better give me this. I need to get this. So that's where we are now. Okay, guys. All right. So we're going to do uh, some reading. And let me just um, give you a heads up. Because that is the big picture idea that God wants us to get in the book of Joseph. Understand that that's the interpretation. Right now, what we're doing, though, because these are very interesting passages very, that we're going to look at some implications here. We're going to look at hopefully some good skills, some things we can learn from Joseph's journey. But what God is doing undercurrent all of this is he's saying, look, I'm in control of all this. I have fulfilled what I said I would fulfill. I have kept Joseph. Um, the people of Israel aren't dead now. So I'm still faithful. I said I would have a remnant and I'm going to have a remnant. But here are some key things that we can learn as we even look at Joseph's journey. So we're going to look at some, hopefully some key learnings from Joseph's life, realizing that the apex, the, the, the big picture is God's goodness and his faithfulness and what he does. Okay, guys? All right, let's jump right in. I'm sorry. What? Okay. So we're in chapter 46, verse 1. It'll be on your screen if you didn't get a Bible. It says, uh, so Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to, um, to the God of his father, of his father Isaac. One second. Okay, so Jacob's an old dude right now, right? So this is him. He's on a journey to go see his, uh, his boy, okay? And, and while he's on a journey, about 130 years old, he stops in Beersheba, okay, which is uh, cool. Uh, this is the same place, right, that dad and grandpa stopped to worship the Lord. And so it's, it seems at some level the author wants us to just to see that, just to see. And I just wanted to, uh, to show you guys as far as your Bible study methods. Just make sure that you're making those keys and those, and those points. Like when you see a point in place where people are continually going to and you realize that he's trying to sort of recapitulate, retell even the story of his fathers, that this was a place where he worshipped the Lord. We're going to talk about what that looks like in a moment. Um, uh, can I pop? Thank you. So when he talks about sacrifice, uh, he, he worshiped the Lord usually, not all the time, but usually, especially in the beginning stages right now in the Old Testament. When he's talking about I worshiped the Lord and, and, and went to Beersheba, the, the assumption is that there was some sacrifice involved. OK, uh, that that individuals actually probably killed something and shed blood. Uh, and that was part of the worship to the Lord. So. So whenever worship happens, as you're reading the scriptures, especially in the beginning stage of the Old Testament, uh, usually sacrifice is happening. 
Now, the reason why I'm, I'm pausing here, because I want us to understand sacrifice and just a little snapshot of why that's important for us today. OK, guys, uh, implied is that an animal would be slaughtered right to the Lord, the shedding of blood for a guilty man. Uh, if you didn't know that, that's the reality of sacrifices. The reason why people have sacrificed um, in near ancient Israel. Hebrew, which would be this time, uh, was because they were saying, I'm guilty, I deserve death, and but what I'm going to do, Lord, I want to worship you, and you're worth all my life, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill this animal, shed his blood, so that you don't have to shed my blood, because I deserve death, because I'm evil, okay? So that's what we would do, and then God, being gracious, would accept that sacrifice, because we're recognizing our brokenness, our sinfulness, um, but, but check this out, guys. This ritual is just a foreshadowing of Jesus. So I wrote this up here so we can understand a theological concept that is assumed throughout the scriptures. You can't even read the New Testament. See, the thing about the New Testament is we can go to the New Testament when we become believers and start reading. But the New Testament authors are assuming that you have a peripheral, uh, at, at worst, knowledge of the Old Testament. It's assuming that we understand these things. OK, so sacrifice is huge as you and me are uh, covenant members in Christ. We love the Lord. And so it's a, it's a ritual that's foreshadowing of Jesus. So what Christ does as our sacrificial lamb, which is why we celebrate Easter, right? And the Passover is that the, the, the guilt and the, and the judgment of God passes over us, right? Because we have, as it were, the blood on our doorpost, right? The blood of Christ, as it were. And so he passes over us and says, you're righteous because of Jesus. And so, so because of Jesus, uh, basically all those thousands of years of killing animals was a foreshadowing of what our Lord would do because he died in our place. So if you're an unbeliever here, um, just to understand this important concept, what Christ is saying is that blood will be shed. It will either be your blood or it will be your Savior's blood. And he says, make it my blood. That's why I died for you. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. It's Jesus died so you don't have to. So he dies in our place. And so now, now don't now get this part, though. So we don't just go, oh, he died in our place and I can do whatever I want. That's the beauty of sacrifice. See, we still celebrate a sacrifice and it's Jesus. But guess what? We still offer a sacrifice. But see, we offer a different sacrifice now. We offer a living sacrifice. And that's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is about. As you ever exposit this passage, as you under, wanted to understand what's going on in Romans 12, 1 and 2, this is what it's talking about. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Spiritual act of worship simply meaning it's the reasonable thing to do. In some translations, it actually says a reasonable thing to do. It's like if God died for you and God's the creator of the whole universe and he loves you more than you love yourself. And then he dies to show you that he wants to save you. Doesn't it just make sense to worship him? That's what the author's saying. It's just like one plus one equals two. If you have a king who's done all this for you and your king says you are a prince and I want to give you a crown and make you a prince, won't you become a prince? And so he says, well, how do you do that? Well, you don't conform any longer. You'd be renewed by the transform, uh, renewing your mind. You'd be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But what I want you to notice just for this, uh, this segment here is notice that piece of you now offer a living sacrifice. And I've talked about this before. Is that the beauty of a human is that we can choose or not choose to worship Christ. Okay, see, right? Uh, animals can't choose that. They worship a sheep worships God by being a good sheep. They go by. I don't know what they do, but they that's how they worship God. The moon worships God by being the moon. Right. The sun worships God by being the sun. That's how it brings honor and glory to God. We worship God and as what God has done to make us create in his image. The Imago days, he says, you now have the capacity. I've given you the capacity to choose to worship me or not to worship me. 
Right. And so that's the beauty of living sacrifice is that I'm not killing you. I've killed my son. Now what I'm asking you to do as you take on that reality, I'm asking you to give your life daily as a living sacrifice. So that's the life of a Christian is we now actually die daily for our savior as we live for God. Does that make sense? Just to understand what, what sacrifice is about, guys. That's what so that's what's going on there. Um, just to show why he was doing that and what it means for us today. Okay. Uh, verse 2. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am. He replied, I am God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. I'm going to pause right there real quick. You know, always when I see that God speaking, I spend 15 minutes talking about understanding biblically what that means. I will spare you today. Okay. So don't get all nervous. But you guys know what I'm about to say. So. Just make sure that God is speaking and just understand that uh, these oratory utterances are very seldom in the scriptures. Uh, but God, but just also know, don't be a sensationist. I believe that God can and does speak, but we need to actually make sure that we are testing the spirits. And I think our body needs to pray a little more. I think we should be a, a, a prayerful group and pray that the Lord would open up the spiritual realm to us. And that we will be asking God to do supernatural things in this body and also in this community. But not so that we can be running around, you know, chasing ghosts and Holy Spirit hunting, but so that the Lord could be glorified. Um, <clears throat> so I didn't give you the speech. Y'all should be so, y'all should be like praising Jesus. So um, do, do not, but notice he said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. Um, I will go down uh, to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. Uh, one thing I just, I, this is just for me, again, implication is not the whole meaning of the text, but don't miss this, guys, because we're in our community, we're neighboring here. You know what I love about this passage here, this little piece here? I love, it's like, uh, it's, um, um, he's basically, um, it's like a foreshadowing of what he says to Joshua, right, in the beginning of Joshua. And you notice God does this throughout the scriptures. He says, look, let me tell you something. I'm running everything. And when I ask you to go anywhere, you can go anywhere if I'm with you. You notice that? There is nowhere. See, that's when you, okay, I get frustrated when people play and say, I can't go to this place or I won't go there for fear and all these other things. I'm going, look, I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual. I'm just telling you that the Bible says if God is there, ain't nothing going to happen to you. Nothing's happening to somebody if God didn't want it to happen. You hear me? It's not something happened and God's going, oh my goodness, I can't believe he broke his leg. That doesn't happen. So God is saying, you know, he says, to him, he says, look, I'm going to be there with you. And that's the only reason you should have the audacity and the courage to go. And so I just want to propose that there is no place that's unsafe if the Lord is with you. And I know I'm going to get emails and stuff, but I think that's biblical centric. So um, so I just want us to I want us to uh, just to take God for what he says and just and just trust the Lord and say, OK, here's what the Lord is saying. Like that means. So if I get shot on Seminole Mac. I'm not in heaven mad at the Lord going, why you let the dope man ooze to get me, Jesus? Like the Lord is in control. Right. And he's not mad at the drug dealer and going, I didn't want him to die at 35. I want him to die at 38. Why would you do that? Like you, you understand me? You see how little we make the Lord. And you're getting kind of mad at me. You feel me, though? That's I just want to I want us to get I want us to put our minds around the reality. God is in control. Nothing is too short and too, too. He, his arm, I love one of Sarah's favorite passages, that God's arm is not too short to save. It's not God isn't going, man, if I can only reach you. He created everything. 
all things. Now, am I asking you to be stupid and do all kinds of silly things and act like, you know, God is with me, shoot me, you know, and have, act like you got a bulletproof vest? I'm not asking you to go crazy. I am asking us to have a, uh, a robust theological perspective of how we do life. And to be honest, when we're fearful, that's okay. God is with us. As the scriptures say, no one can be against us. I'm a You trying to say I talk too much? I know. I know. Can you? Oh, no, that's great, sis. No, no. no. Thanks a lot for getting me in trouble. Um, I really appreciate it. You're, you're awesome. You're awesome. Welcome back. Welcome back. No, um, no, no. Okay, so, so well, theologically, I, I would propose that, okay, so I propose that, so you have sin, and then what happens is, um, is, that, is that sin does two things. I, I would propose that theologically, sin heaps judgment on the unbeliever and it sanctifies the believer. And so I would propose, if, I think, again, I think your thinking about God matters immensely. Because if you really believe that the things that are going on around in the world and the persecution and the drama and all the stuff that's happening is not like, oh, woe is me. But God is like, although this is painful, I'm using this to make you more like me and to make you actually have a tear in your eye when I come versus sitting around with a pina colada going, where you been, Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's something deep about the fact that when you're hustling and you're serving and you're praying for people and you're fighting for people and then one day, I'm sorry. And then you see the Lord, the sky cracks, and you see the Lord, you go, it was worth it. And there's something about that. And so I propose to you that, that, that this drama and all this stuff for the believer is, is in, and I propose Revelation, is the whole book of Revelation is, guess what I'm doing? Hey guys, what you don't see, I guess you, you, you think it's not reality, but the things you don't see is reality, and the things that you're seeing right now, the Lexuses and the Beamers and the big mansions, that's not a reality. That's all silliness. And I want you to focus, kingdom people, kingdom people, see what kingdom eyes, and understand that all these things that are happening, if you do get beat up, if your bike does get stolen, your car does get shot up, your house does get broken into. He, the Lord is saying all that is to teach you that your stuff isn't all that, that Jesus is still king, that no matter what happens to me, the Lord is in control. If I'm, if I, if I'm righteous the whole, my whole life and I'm poor, and I can say, Lord, I just trust you one day that you see all this. All that stuff brings us to a deeper and passionate relationship and a focus where we say, Jesus, you've got to be everything because this world is crazy. And for the unbeliever, what sin does is that we keep eating it. We keep coming earth dwellers and we keep taking you know, the Revelation has this picture of like just taking dirt and stuffing it in your mouth. And you keep eating it and you keep worshiping your job and worshiping your wife and your kids and, and worshiping your stuff. And God says, you know what? 
you know, sin is utterly sinful or Romans 1, what I'm going to do because you want to be a porn addict, because you want to go all around and, and, demon, and, and womanize and, and, and do all this stuff, I'm going to let you keep doing it and I'm going to actually give, you, give it to you and let you enjoy it and one day it's going to heap judgment on you because one day you're going to stand before a holy God and God is going to say, you have absolutely no way to tell me I'm not unjust for destroying you and sending you to hell because look at your life. And I know that's hard for some of you, but it's true. He's heaping judgment on you as an unbeliever. And for you as a believer, he is trying to make you cling to your Savior. And that's our life. And that's why we have hard times. And that's why some of us have anatomic issues. I mean, my, my, we've got all kinds of stuff going on in our body. But God says, hold on, because it's real. But man, for those of you who you just come here and you, don't, you barely listen and you're doing your own thing and you think you're faking God. And day after day, you're dying. Day after day. And one day the Lord is saying, who's going to pay for your sin? Whose blood will be shed? Um, I hope that's judgment of unbelievers, sanctify the believer. <laughs> Let me keep going for the sake of time. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's son took their father Jacob and their children, their wives, and the carts that Pharaoh had sent them to transport them, the escalades we talked about last week. They also took with them their livestock and the possession they had acquired in Canaan, and Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt. He took with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all of his offspring. These are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his descendants who went to Egypt, Reuben the firstborn of Jacob. We're going to go through some names real quick. The sons of Reuben, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jacob, Johar, and Shaul. The son of, uh, of a Canaanite woman. Uh, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Uh, the sons of Judah, guys. Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Er and Onan had died in the land of Canaan. Um, note to yourself. Very interesting. Why would the author do that? Wants to remind us of some stuff, right? This one, as, you, as you're doing your Bible study skills, the sons of Perez, Hezron, and Hamul, the sons of Issachar, Tola, Pua, uh, Jashub, uh, and Simran, the sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and, ja- and Jalil. Uh, these were the sons of Leah, born to Jacob, and Padah Aram, besides his daughter Dinah. Uh, these sons and daughters of his were 33 in all. We're going to see, yeah. I love that when you said, wow. And I, I almost want to ask, why did you say wow? Because that's very important, because you should say wow. Actually, theologically, he wants you to say, wow, I would propose that's the reason why this genealogy is in here. One quick thing. You don't see many women uh, here. Be very clear, ladies. Uh, the Bible is patriarchal. It's not chauvinistic. OK, this is be very clear here. What's going on here? You, you got a couple of honeys because Dinah got raped and that's his daughter. That's cool. But um, it's really trying to help us understand uh, the importance of, of patriarchy, which I get into in a moment. The point is that uh, God, although we all matter, now just understand this, this is a reflection of the Trinity, but men, there's something serious about how men matter to God in the sense of role responsibility. Let me be very clear here, because women hear this, and I want to make sure you're not hearing any degradation here. Women and men are created in the image of God. I love and adore my wife. She's smarter than me. There's many of you women who are off the chain and are brilliant and blah, blah, blah. And that's, but you know, here's the reality. That's beside the point. Okay. The reality is, gee, okay. 
Here's the issue. The Bible, what the Bible is saying is just as you look at the Trinity, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? Jesus isn't mad that God the Father is a Father. He's not going up and God the Father says, what's wrong, Jesus? And Jesus standing there, well, I'm the Son. Well, I got to be the Son. Right? That's not what's going on, okay? You're saying that Jesus understands his role as a son. His role was to die for the world. His role is now he reigns over all of creation, okay, guys? Um, they have a role responsibility, role distinction, but they are totally uh, uh, totally the same in person, in the sense of, of essence, okay, guys? In the same way, we have a role distinction as men and women, but we are the same in essence. We are no better or no worse than each other, but we have distinct roles to maximize God's glory on earth. And that's what the Bible's doing, okay? Um, yeah, I hope that makes sense, guys. Um, all those who went to Egypt with Jacob, uh, those who were his uh, the direct descendants, not counting his sons, wives, Number 66 persons with the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. Um, now, you think about it. I just told you it's a patriarchal book uh, for, the fact that, for the fact that it's trying to help us understand something, that when you take men out of a community, eventually the community becomes uh, disparaged and degraded. Okay? Hence, our neighbors, our community. Okay? That's just a reality. And so I say that now. What's cool about our local body, which I'm blown away, we have a lot of men in our body, which is a huge blessing. Because that's not the norm in church. If I wish I had some stats right now. But uh, women are running things in churches. And basically, men, we're not stepping up. I love that our body has a, um, a distinct power of really strong men, which is a huge blessing. We need to get stronger. And we need to help men in this community and our community understand how strong we need to be. And we need to rise up and be doing what we need to do as men so that we can lead well so women wouldn't feel like, well, you're such a wimp and a punk. I need to lead because you're not leading. Now, guess what's happening here? Why does he give us these names? Uh, one of the main reasons why he gives us these names is because he wants you to say, ah, wow. God is faithful. Look at God growing. Look at, look at this. They were here, and now if you, you, you don't, you, they're, they're not mentioning the daughters and all those people. So you've probably got about 100 people, okay, that comes just from Jacob's line while he's alive. Isn't that cool? What is that saying? Well, first it's talking about God's faithfulness. God said, hey, I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to do this thing. And slowly but surely, you see throughout all this drama uh, that God is actually doing it, that they are actually multiplying. Think about it. Uh, they're now, um, they're about 100 in number, right, at this point. And, and now what's going to happen is we're going to have a couple more chapters, and then we're going to go to um, part two when we get to Exodus. We won't do Exodus yet. But when you're in Exodus, uh, the people of Israel have grown after 400 years. How big are they? Anybody know? Hmm? About a million or so. Okay? Can you imagine? 400 years. Is God doing his thing? Okay? So they go from a couple dudes, right? Some honeys. And you got a million people. What is that saying about us, guys? Have you ever thought about that practically? Have you thought about, like, what? Have you ever thought about legacy at Mac, guys? What are we doing here? Like, what, what are we trusting the Lord for here? What are you, as an individual, and I want you guys to get to the point where you see yourself, we're collectively a body of people, but are you thinking about yourselves individually, and what kind of legacy are you asking the Lord to allow you to leave in this community? As we neighbor in this community, what do you want to be about? What are you wanting the people 
to have been blessed by you. What do you, what do you want to have left here when you leave? What kind of legacy, guys? Do we really believe that? That, that your life matters and, and that it's a precedent for, for, for whatever follows you. We've got to get this into our mind. We've got to understand that people are going to be who we are training them to be. Do we get that? We have great opportunity here at MacAv, guys. We have a lot of opportunity. I'll talk about that in a moment. Be thinking about that. What are your plans? I, I, I talk about are, you, are we just living or planning our lives? I, one thing that really breaks my heart um, in our community is, is watching how um, um, is watching how individuals um, basically we just waste. Uh, we, we, just people aren't planning at all. Uh, I'm just blown away at how I talk with individuals and and. And man, for some reason, we just we just are kind of just going through the rat race and we're not thinking about like strategically, what am I doing to add value to my life and what am I doing to add value to others' life? But what we're usually doing, which we're we kind of get stuck in a rut in our in our in our neighborhood of navel gazing, and we just kind of are just going through and just dealing with us, and we're not even being strategic. And so that's what's hard. If we talk vision, I'm talking about guys, we need to be thinking, what do we want to be about in five years? And some of us can't get past Monday. It's a trick of Satan, guys. Family, it's a trick of Satan. He wants us to pause and actually think about, well, what do I want to be about in two years? And if I want to be here in two years, what am I doing now? See, it don't make any sense. People, yeah, you know, you're in, you're in a, a school and you're asking the kids, so what do you want to do in two years? And they're like, I want to be in college. I want to be a dentist. I want to do these things. And you got D's. Well, you see, they don't match. You can't be a dentist with D's, bruh. Oh, I'm not, you ain't gonna fix my teeth. So, at some point, you gotta think to yourself. Look at what the scripture says in Proverbs 6, guys. It says, Go to the ant, you slugger, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, or ruler, no one running things in that sense, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at the harvest. It just knows that it's wise for me to get some food because it's gonna be cold soon. Just gets it, right? How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Some of us are surprised that we're broke, that we don't have stuff, that we don't have, that we don't have the resources to actually take the noise out of our ears so that we can even hear the gospel. And, and some of us have hard times, and some of us are just lazy. And guys, we have to ask the Lord to give us an understanding, a vision, of legacy. Genesis is saying, guys, I get it. Two drug addict parents, guys. And guess what? I'm not asking you to get rich. I'm not asking you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What I am saying is I'm asking you to pray and plead and ask the Lord to give you the grace to break out of the generational issues that we are involved in. Now, you guys know how I speak about generational curses, because I think the only the thing is when you talk from that perspective, you take the responsibility off of you and you're just saying, oh, I'm, I'm cursed. So I guess it's going to be like this. That's a bunch of crap. Right. We don't believe that in this local body. OK, well, we're but but there is something about generational sin. And there's just things that are passed on to you and you just kind of do. And at some point, somebody has to say, like Joseph did, by God's grace, actually, that's not going to be me. And I'm asking Will you please break the cycle, men? 
God can do something powerful in this community. And it's up to you and me to say, today it stops. It stops today. And now we're going to live a life. And I'm going to learn how to read my scriptures. And I'm going to tithe. And I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to be honest even when it hurts. And when I want to go out and do my own, my, my own addictive sin, I'm going to call the body and say, tie me up or do something because I'm ready. I'm about to go wild out. And we take radical steps of being in community and asking the Lord to allow us to fight together. It can stop. God can heal us. You ever thought about that? Where are we going to be in five years? Guys, we are Macav. This, you are Macav. Our whole ministry is on discipleship. You stop discipling. We ain't got no church. The whole ministry is based on this body. The most amazing people I've ever been a part of. But have you thought? Are you just thinking about, you just meet your disciple and I just hope I just do that? And you, are you thinking about that you're part of this church and you're a leader and where are we going to be in five years? How do we get there? Are you planning? Or are we just bumping along and just hoping we just make it another week? That's not what Joseph did, guys. There's something we can learn from that, brother. I just put this here. Just, guys, we, you know, our, our vision, seeing communities transform both spiritually and physically, starting with our own. Okay, God is blessing us. We're growing. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we, we, are, we are a community that we're making disciples. Guys, we're going to eventually, we, I pray that we're a community that make disciples and we plant churches. That people see us as a body of people, we, that we, we add value to a community because we, be, we bring robust, gospel-centered, biblical, passionate, loving people to communities who say, we love Jesus and we love our city. Think about it, guys, okay, fam? Let's go to the scriptures. We're in verse 28, guys, ready? Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I've seen for myself that you're still alive. You have this beautiful reuniting of the, of the dad and son. Twenty-two years. You, you were 17 the last time you seen your dude, your old man, and you're 39. Can you imagine Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who are living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are, are shepherds. They tend livestock and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks what's your occupation, you should answer. So he helps him out. He says, look, we got to we got to hook this thing up now. We can be talking to Pharaoh. So let me coach you a little bit. All right. So we can get some land. You're trying to hook it up. Right. So this is just, just in my opinion. This is Joseph again being shrewd, not sinful. Um, calls him in. He says, what's your occupation? You should answer. Your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen. Uh, so he's trying, to, he's, trying to, he's trying to hook it up. He's trying to get that good land. He's trying to get gross point. You know what I'm saying? He says, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. 
Right. So he already knows shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. So he knows that they're not going to want if he says they're shepherds, which they are, as some of what he was, they're not going to want them to live with them. So he says, OK, I want to get some remote land. So say you're shepherds and they won't want to kick it with us. So you won't get into all their trouble. You won't get into their pagan rituals. We'll do our own thing and worship our God, I propose. So he, he hooks that up and then he's like, OK, and then we can we got to hook this thing up where we don't get the, the nasty land, but we get the good land. OK, so he's trying to get Goshen. Um. Here we go. So it says, uh, Joseph went to Pharaoh, my brother. Did I read this part? Okay. Joseph went and, and told Pharaoh, my father and brothers with their flocks and herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in the land of Goshen. In Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? Your servants as shepherds. They replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. Uh, they also said to, the, to him, we have come to live here a while because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now please let your servants settle in Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father, your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. So they get, he gives them gross points. It's awesome. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock so I can come up too. Uh, it says, then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And, jo and Jacob uh, said to Pharaoh, uh, which, by the way, I love that. Um, I love that Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Um, that I thought was this deep. So you got this straight up, you know, unbeliever, pagan guy, think he's a guy. You get old Jacob walking up, with, you know, 130 years old in his cane and looks at an unbeliever. You know, and it seems that some sense without hesitation is like, you know, and I'm proposing that I think when he blessed them that he probably prayed for him. So he, <laughs> I just imagine he like he grabs him or whatever. And he's like, I'm going to bless you. And he prays for this guy. And I was imagining Pharaoh looking like, what in the world's going on? I just thought, me practically, I just thought, yeah, I just, I just pray that our body will be a praying body. That people, you know, people come up to you and got problems and issues, even in this body. And we'll, we'll say, I pray for you. I, I really want us to learn how to pray for people around the spot. And in our community, you know, you talk with people and you have a good combo. I think we should, we should, you don't leave the combo. You're like, can I just pray for you? I believe that, that God hears prayer. I just want to, I just want to pray for you. And to cultivate a heart that we really trust the Lord to be changing hearts and lives. And not just how cool we are and the things of that sort. I just... I pray for that, that we'll be a praying body in that way. And some of you guys already probably do that. I know some of you guys are awesome prayer warriors, but that's not a, um, that's not a job description. That's a mandate, right? Um, so he blesses him. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Right? He's like, man, I'm younger than my, my, my predecessors, but man, it's been hard, man. Hard out here. And uh, he says, then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence, blessing him again. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, uh, Ramses and Pharaoh directed, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. Um, which I propose, you know, real quick, I just think it's very interesting. It's really sad. I know that the famine was everywhere, but there's something that's interesting about you had 11 able-bodied men and a dad, uh, and they all sat around and did absolutely nothing. And it's very interesting that Joseph was the one to take care of the whole family. And I just was thinking just how many able-bodied people we have in our community uh, and how we have to, I just was like, man, I just, I'm just praying that we would have, this is just my implication, this, 
like that we can help people see the value they have in adding value. And that we learn how to develop, we learn how to neighbor well, and that we don't just feel like we need to save the day, but we actually take able-bodied people and say, do something. Uh, that's just me and my stuff. So um, here we are, guys. Um, scene switches. Now, um, we're right in the midst of the famine. That's the whole, you know, getting your family settled kind of thing. Scene switches real quick. And now... Uh, this is the reality of the famine. Uh, the people are coming to Joseph needing some stuff, okay? We're all still together? Okay, so that's the narrative. He comes, he brings in his, his dad. They all get settled. Now we're talking about something uh, kind of different here. We're talking about Joseph now running things, and here's what it looks like practically. There is no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. So we're in the midst of the famine. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine, okay? Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt, and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's place. So remember he had said, you can come get some grain, just give us some money. He gets all the money. People don't have any more money. He still has a lot of grain. Um, verse 15, when the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is used up. Hyperbolic speech probably wasn't a whole line of every person in Egypt standing in line, saying a lot of people, obviously, the famine was so severe, hit the whole land. Many people were coming to the point where they're like, you can tell this is a lot and this has affected everyone, but it's probably hyperbolic speech, which means that speech is exaggerated. Um, our money is used up, verse 16, then, then, then Joseph says, then bring your livestock, said Joseph, I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money's all gone. So we do a barter system. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord uh, the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Some of you are going, man, Joseph seemed like one mean cat. He's taking their money, took all their livestock, now he's about to take the person. I'm going to read through this, and I'm going to go through a few uh, quick points, okay, guys? Why should we perish, verse 19, before your eyes, we our land as well, we and our land as well. Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh, okay? So keep in mind, Joseph isn't getting a lot in this, this money. He's actually working as a servant of Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. Verse 20. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received the regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. Priests is not meaning these aren't Christians. This just shows you that um, since, since time, uh, there are people who are gathering in and had religion and spirituality. These are his, basically his necromancy, his witchcraft people who are basically with him. These are his people. But I think it speaks to something that we can learn in the sense of implication that although we know that Jesus is king, he's our Lord, he's a real God, all of the guys are false and demons, we want to respect other people and other religions and to give them the freedom to choose to serve a demon if they want to, so they won't tell us that we can't serve our Jesus. That makes sense? 
that there's something that's really beautiful that we get a chance to serve our Lord. And that by God's grace, if you choose to serve something demonic, uh, we want you to become a Christian. But that's the thing. I, I would propose that the scriptures actually are saying, hey, here, here, here's the potpourri. You should serve me. I'm the king. But this will let me know if you're my child or not. OK. And so although we want to say, hey, if I rule the things, everybody's going to be Christians. I don't think that's the smartest thing because you won't get to the authentic piece of worship. That's just my implication. Um, again, so these aren't believers. These are these are pagan uh, witchcraft people who are uh, the priests of their land. Uh, however, verse 22, however, uh, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had enough food from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you. Uh, so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. Uh, the other four fifths you may keep see as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your household and your children. So basically he says, hey, you get the land. I'm going to hook you up with the seed so you can have the food. All we're asking is a 20% tax. You have saved our lives. Look at their response. So, so, so now there's a debate. Some people say this is this is shady. He has everything. Joseph has played these people. And then he rides them. And, and, you know, now they're working for him, too. Um, and then there's some people who say, no, I think this is still in the camp that Joseph is being right, is being righteous, but he's rich. Um, and so I want to talk about what that looks like in a moment. I propose I'm in a Joseph righteous, making a wise decision, rich camp, because there's a couple of things he could have done, done. He could have had everybody die and starve. Um, he also could have charged them way much more because they had no options. Uh, and proposed, by the way, you know that when you add up all of our taxes, we pay way more than 20% a year. Did you know that? If we start adding gas tax, food tax, the taxes, 15% from just your federal income tax, all, I mean, you got a business, there's all kind of crazy taxes. If we went through taxes, you guys would jump out of that window right there because you realize you've been getting robbed this year. But that's just welcome to America, right? We pay taxes, and that's, that is what it is, right? Uh, so I'm proposing 20 percent is actually a good deal. That's just my my politician to make you feel good about Joseph. So. Um, he, and look at their response. You know, you know, you have saved our lives. Well, that, I'll be kind of mad if he was getting me. You have saved our lives. They said, may we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. Uh, we will be in bondage to Pharaoh, which is sad of our Lord. They're still unbelievers. Uh, so Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt, still enforced today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Um, Jacob lived in Egypt 70 of 17 years, and the years of his life were uh, 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Remember, we talked about the whole hand under the thigh thing. Uh, we don't do that no more. We shake hands. But that was about giving an oath, okay? So, homies, don't, don't do that. It's New Testament now. Um, do not, I don't see no thigh hand stuff. Do not bury. And he says, do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say. He said, swear to me. Um, he said, then Joseph swore to him and Israel worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Uh, awesome picture. Uh, a couple things. Uh, the whole bury me in Egypt is actually important uh, because he's basically trying to remind the reader, us, of something that happens before 
uh, that, that, that they're all modeling that they believe in the promise that Yahweh has given them. Okay, remember uh, Abraham's deal, um, I'm you, when his granddaddy died, he, he said, you know what, put your hand under my thigh, and then he basically prayed about the increase in number, the whole issue of increase in number. Here, he's, he's saying, I really believe that God has given us a promised land, so if I believe that, then why am I going to let you bury me here? He's saying, bury me in a promised land because I believe one day we'll have that land. Now, remember, they didn't get back there in 400-something years. But his bones was there. He was like, sweet. Took a while, but at least you follow me? So I propose that he was actually just trying to affirm. It was a practical demonstration of him saying, I believe in God's promise. Bury me where God promised we were going we to get the land. Um, okay. A few quick things. Something very interesting that I think you should ask yourselves as we are in a community neighboring together is as you look at this story is uh, you get the temperature of the land. You realize the land is a, a pagan land. Uh, individuals don't know Jesus. you got spiritual people saying, I'm so spiritual, right? That's all the, the, the priests and all that stuff. you got a famine. Uh, first you had all this money and then you had famine. Actually, it sounds like a lot like Detroit, right? we got spiritual apathy that's crazy. Churches on every corner of the street. Everybody's saying Jesus, not many worshiping Christ. Okay, you got, uh, you had the big three, everybody balling for a while, making money way back in the day. Now everybody's broken. Now the people don't have jobs. We're struggling. A lot of, a lot of craziness, right? Uh, understanding our situation in our hood so that we can add value in an appropriate way, I think, um, makes some sense as far as wisdom. And then I've, we've already talked about Joseph's actions, so hopefully you guys can argue about that in that group. And, um, and then the question I want to ask you guys is, how does the Bible view wealth, okay? Think about this. This is very important as we go about doing kingdom business. A lot of times we can think about, we can think from a Marxist perspective, if I can be really honest. We can think, okay, wealth bad, poor good, right? And we can think, you know, you know people who got money, they're just messed up. And, and it's usually the poor people who think that until they get money, and then they're like, no, uh, be okay. You know, then the poor people who get money, now they won't know taxes, and, you know, so... We all just hypocrites, you know, let's be honest. So, um, so we usually think like if we ain't got no money. You get some cheese, you're going to change your opinion. So, but I don't want you to change your opinion because practically you've now got money. I want you to think about this always theologically, and that is the Bible doesn't speak to in that way. The Bible makes it very, it's very, it's way more complicated, the whole issue of wealth, um, things we have. And that is godly or ungodly poor, it seems what the Bible talks about, is that the question isn't, are you poor or are you rich? But are you godly and poor? And are you godly and rich? Or are you ungodly and poor and ungodly and rich? See, see, because that's the thing is you can have it. And here's the basis of that. If you think, so what is the basis? I would propose the question you got to ask yourself is, you know, if you're godly and you have money or if you're ungodly. See, because some of you have money because you've saved, you've worked hard, uh, you've been faithful, you've been given to your king, you've been on mission. Some of you guys are just crooked. Right. You've been cheating people. You've been lying. You've been lying on your taxes. You haven't given any money to your king, Jesus. You're harboring and you're crooked. And you have money. Well, you're ungodly and wealthy. Some of you are, are poor and you're like, man, but man, I, I'm trying to give. I, I'm trying to be faithful. I try to get up and work. I don't have a job right now, but I'm trying to find a job. I'm faithful with that. I'm taking steps. And, and you know what? Oh, my husband died and now I'm broke because I got these three kids. And I, and, and I would propose you're godly and poor. You're being righteous, but this is the lot that the Lord has given you. And you're saying, Lord, this is what I have, but I'm being faithful with it. And some of us, we're ungodly and poor. 
You're conniving. You're trying to milk the system. You're out selling your WIC card for cash. You're doing all this stuff. You're, you're doing things you know you shouldn't do. You're lazy. You're not getting up and trying to find a job. You're sitting around and you're mad at the man and you're sitting around, well, why can't I get this? Why can't I get that? And you're not pursuing and doing what you're called to do. You're not even thinking about giving to other people. It's all about you consuming, about getting yours. Well, you're ungodly and poor. What does the Bible say? The Bible asks some questions. Just again, we talk about the scriptures and you got to read the text. You got to read the context because you got to you got to keep reading through the whole canon because these questions are asked throughout the scriptures. Questions that are assumed is how do you get your money? That'll let you know. How do you get your money? You know, are you you know are you are you are you shooting you know craps on the corner? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How are you getting your money? Are you are you robbing people? Are you saying you're going to do a good job at something and then you you put an upcharge of 120 percent and then you do a crappy job? Right. Are you fair with your prices? Are you fair with your work? Are you fair with your assessment? How do you spend your money? I'm amazed that people go, I, I work hard. And then you, 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 you know, you got $80 and you take 40 of it and you, and you do your nails. And then, you, and then you come to the local body and go, Help, hey, can you bail me out? Can you pay my light bill? No, sell them nails. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what, really? How do you spend your money? So, I'm, no, get me. If you, if you broke and you, and, you, and you spend, all I'm saying, if you want to live like that, if you want to spend your last dime and not save, not save for your kids' education, not save for a nice vacation for your family, and you want to buy a nice watch and some Jordans and look like you have the veneer of being a baller in a community and then can't do nothing, cool, don't be mad at us. Then know that that's the lot you've chosen. You chose to put your stuff, and I propose unwisely, in stuff that really don't matter. How do you spend your money? How do you save? Are you saving? Do you know? I think the, the average was years ago. Was like, um, I mean, this was probably like four or five years ago. I think it's probably worse because we just had a big credit crash. That people were saving like I think one or like one to two percent of their annual um, annual income a year. One to two percent? That's crazy. We're a consuming generation and we go around going, I don't have anything. Well, really? Let's do the math. My man Josh, one of our leaders here, made a little sheet, Excel sheet. We, we've taken a few members through it. Going away, we, we know, I ain't got nothing, I ain't got nothing. We sit down and it just tells on them. And we're like, man, you got, I mean, it's one, one lady just balling all kind of money. I'm like, girl, you got, look all this money you got. Oh, you're right. Okay, so there's, so there's, there's a problem. You spend too much. These are just things I just want to, because these are the practical things we need to do to get equipped as a body so that we can be of value to our community, right? How do you invest? Anybody investing in our community is unheard of. I mean, bank accounts, that's like the sumum bonum in this community, okay? That's like huge. And then you get people in the suburbs looking at you like, damn, that's, that's 101, baby. My kids got a bank account. They six. I'm serious. That's how they roll up on you. You know what I'm saying? Well, we need to take some cues. When I was younger, I remember a man, a little kid in the hood in you know Cleveland, same mindset, systemic mindset, doing my thing, thinking I'm balling all this stuff, and you know I'm watching that. You know, you know, get your first little step outside. I'm watching these other kids. And I'm, I'm peeping them out, listening to them talk about this. I'm like, bank account with that. You know, okay. 
Now, now you leave here going, Aries just wants to buy to be rich. Come on, guys, you should know me. I'm proposing to you that the scriptures talk about 800 times about money. Jesus himself. A quarter of the time when Jesus talks, he talks about money. Okay? This is, when was the last time you heard me talk about money up here? Jesus would talk about money every four weeks if y'all heard him preach. Alright? So don't act like I'm tripping. How do you invest? Do you love money and use people? Now, don't, don't miss that. Do you love money and use people? Or do you love people and use money? Another brother, I, didn't, I think he's crazy, but I love Nate. He, he wants money so he can just use it for, for the God's glory. I mean, I'm scared when this brother gets money. I'm telling you, I think we have bulldozers knocking down buildings. I'm like, but we ain't got no ordinance, bro. No, I don't care. You know what I mean? It's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. And, I, and I'm just, I just love you guys. I just feel like there's so many stories of kingdom expansion that I see in this community where you guys are doing these kind of things. And I feel like this is some of our strengths, but it's also some of our weakness. And we can't just go, oh, God has given me this capacity to have those kind of mindsets, which many of you have. But we've got to be intentional about knowing what our mindset is, knowing what's bibliocentric about the mindset, and then transferring it to a community that we're neighboring with. This is our community. Don't just be okay with you having this mindset. You've missed it at MacAv. If you think it's okay for you, you just to walk around and be godly. So hear that. Let us not be a, a body that we go, no, rich people, bad. I'm biblical. Are you righteous with your wealth? And are you righteous with what you don't have? That's what matters, family. Let's be a righteous body. Do you think and you're righteous because you are poor? You could just be lazy. And do you think you're wise because you're rich? Rich people make me laugh, though. And I'm just keeping it real. I know a lot of rich people by God's grace. I just watch them rich. I'm just like, man, that's cool. But um, I know them. And it's funny. A lot of times, this is what I've seen by default. Society thinks just because you got money, now you, you, you should automatically have a voice. And I watch rich people, and they buy into it. And they think... I'm rich, so I must be smart. I must be off the chain. And I'm like, well, you're actually stupid, but God was gracious. And so, so I just want to encourage you, just because you got money doesn't necessarily mean that you're wise. You could just be crooked. Everything we do, here's what the scripture, here's what, you know, because uh, I, love, I love our bodies, so honest. So we're in, we're in Matt group, guys. And um, we like last week. So what, what was the meaning of the text last week? And Sarah goes, I didn't know what she was talking about. <laughs> I, I love that. I love everybody like, man, you, you, you said some good things, but I don't know what the point was. So, so for the sake of growth, my growth in particular, here is the main point. No, no, no. <laughs> and man, I'm growing. It seems like some other people were singing that last week too, huh? Okay. So, uh, so in the text here, I propose, like, the question, that the, as we see, as we look at the implication of Joseph, I think these are some appropriate questions. It's, it's the issue of legacy. Guys, when you think of the book of Genesis, you got it. One of the top five words should come out of your mouth is legacy. We said it over and over again. Legacy. Generation. Seeing people raised up godly and ungodly and seeing what, how it matters based on their, per, their parents and what's happened in their community, it matters. Here's the legacy. What legacy do you want to leave? And here's the thing I just want to challenge us to. Think about it, guys. Okay, right now, we have been here three, it'll be three years doing service, okay? And, and 
uh, we've been here five years. And the thing is, a lot of you guys, um, right now we have probably in savings um, about, you know, a little over 100 Gs, okay? All right? Um, Erica does accounting. I just, I just act like I know what I'm talking about. Huh? Oh, sorry. This is the church, not me. Oh. No, I'm, I'm talking about us. This is not about, this is about your body. This is what you have done, okay? Um, how many, thank you, sir. How many, um, I, I, guys, the Lord's been so good to us, I forget how many houses we've renovated now. That's how many houses this body, you, have renovated. Can I be safe to say between 8 and 12? Okay? So homes with this body, 8 to 12 homes renovated, okay? We're growing. We're going to start a new mad group in another week or two. We're going to probably start a few more after that. We're trusting the Lord. By the end of the year, we'll have 16 mat groups, okay? That's eight people per mat group, okay? So now we have all those people who are discipling in the community, being on mission on purpose, okay? Now, this is the money we have, and guess what? And guess what? Some of you guys aren't tithing. Some of you guys aren't giving to the Lord, okay? Everybody in mat, everybody who's being discipled, you should be worshiping Christ and giving to the Lord, okay? If you're not, that's really jacked up. You should be because we are a community and we're here together. And if you're being disciple, if you're disciple someone, you should figure that out and make sure that they're given. That's just a part of worship. Ain't nothing to do with MacAf. Okay, that's a part of worship. You are hindering someone's worship if they're being a consumer as they're acting like they're worshiping Christ. Um, so, but this is the money we have in savings. Think of think of all the outreaches, all the outreaches you guys, this body has done in the last five years, hundreds, hundreds of outreaches. If not, I mean hundreds. Of, of in the community and serving and giving and, and delivering and, and just of your resources, okay? And guess what? We've been doing that with a bunch of broke people. We ain't got no money. Be honest. And think about it. We got, and here's the thing, we got all these 2B doctors. Get paid. What's up? <laughs> we got five to seven to eight we got all these, how many medical students we got up in here? That's right, Scott. How many medical students? Man, I can't wait to get some money. So, um, I'm just kidding. I'm just with you. No, I love you, brother. All right. Five, okay, I don't even know the numbers. I'm really going to be, you know, I'm just saying, you know, five to eight, I mean, probably more, five to eight individuals, you know, who are in that process. We got med students. We got residency people. All right. We got engineers in this body. We got small business owners coming in this body now. Okay, we can, I mean, we, we have individuals graduating from college. Here's the thing I want you to hear, though. The lure is going to be when you get yours, and this is not about guilting. You hear me? Hear me. I'm not trying to guilt you. I just want you to see something here. We got teachers. We got, we got, we got nurses. We got God is doing something in our hood, in our neighborhood. He's raising up young professionals. He's raising up people who have a voice and culture. And they're here in all. I want to show this point in our community. Now, the lore is going to be when you graduate to say, okay, thanks, thanks, E, thanks, MacAv. I learned a lot about discipleship. Thanks for letting me serve people. And to dip. And some of you need to go. God wants to do that. But man, wouldn't it be cool if these five to eight doctors who are going to be making between 150 to 300,000 a year, engineers making between 50 to 100 grand a year, 
And I'm not about to cheat. I want you to understand influence. Just hear me here. Just hear me here. A year, okay? Small business owners, do the math, teachers, nurses. Hey, guess what we're doing in our math group? We're, trying, we're asking the Lord, what can we, like, what kind of, what if you could have in your math group? You said for the next year, part of our deal is in our math group, let's think of business ideas. And at the end of the year, we try to produce that, the, the business idea we like the most. What if we had ingenuity and we actually built businesses through this community? We got individuals who are finance majors. We got people here who are, who are, who are young professionals. Who are making, so think of all that. I'm telling you, if we all stay in this community and we commit, think about all the unresourced that have left the community. Finally, people are bringing resources into an unresourced community. Can you imagine if now all of a sudden our account to do kingdom work added some zeros? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a million? Can you imagine a million bucks in this community? Can you imagine annually of all of us sitting around and going, how do we expand, how do we expand God's kingdom with more people and more resources? Now it's absolutely nothing to buy a huge, um, empty building and make it into a sports center for the community. Now it's nothing to have an awesome Mac Lit program. Now it's nothing to have a kingdom. Now it's, it's uh, you guys see where I'm going. It's nothing now. Now you tell me the nation wouldn't take notice of that. They would have to. They would have to. You tell me the Lord would be honored? What legacy will we leave? What would happen? You go off to Wharton and you come back. What would happen? You start to do some startups and you come back. Not people who are just rich. You know I don't care about money. I'm talking about people who are about the kingdom and they're godly and rich. And they're serious about developing people and making sure that we model dignity into this community. And we neighbor together and we fellowship and we have a good time. And we show the community what it looks like when a community presents the gospel. That's all I'm saying. We have the most amazing body ever. And all I'm asking, guys, consider that. Consider thinking past your degree and think about the future in this community with us. What could happen? How many, how many, how many ladies can we stop from aborting babies? How many ladies can we help as you're discipling the women to get that they don't have to be with some punk, but they deserve a godly man. How many men can we help rise up as they learn a skill, not a skill just to make ends meet, but they learn managerial things because we started a company here. What can happen? 
We have a medical clinic here that's full of, of character and, and, and it's total quality. And we have resources and so we have a nice building. There's no water dripping from the pipes. But people experience dignity because they're being cared for and blessed by quality doctors and quality nurses who care for their kids and who are smart and who are kind. That can happen. But not if we don't think about it. I guarantee you, if you just go through the day and you just do your thing, it won't really matter. All I'm asking is to think about it. I'm not trying to guilt you. But legacy matters. And we need God to do something great here. And guess what? I don't see it any mistake that he's brought this group into our, our community. And that's why we ask you to invite. That's why we ask you to ask more people to move here. That's why we're so tenacious about the kingdom. That's why you are so tenacious about the kingdom. I have gone way over. Um, I don't even know what to do. Can we, you know what, can we take...